all about the Sphinx. A pole? Pool of souls? Yes, 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 yes. Do you understand what I'm trying to get? I was like, is there like, a limited amount of souls? Yes, souls? yes, yes, yes. What happened was something either arrived on the back of one of somebody's ship or it came in when people were exiting from Mars or it came in through an asteroid. No one really knows exactly where it came in. But whenever this thing came in, it brought the fear virus. So essentially it was something that wasn't planned for this experiment. This experiment was supposed to be like a totally different type of experiment without the fear virus. But what happens when you have a planet is it just kind of changes the experiment, so to speak. There's more, more polarity. And basically on every planet, they have a law, but this planet does have the law of duality. So you have to have good and bad or whatever. You, you have to abide by those laws when you come to this planet. But the problem is it attracts this kind of like um, vibration. So it attracts beings that feed off of fear. Feed off of fear. And that was the face of the thing until symbolically it was taken down with like the whole pool of humans today is a special episode of course we have sarah breskman cosme it is her second time on the show if you guys remember the first episode there was a lot of audio that got cut out in the middle because it was such a good interview that a lot of the audio got lost specifically my audio uh right in the middle it was uh it's quite, quite funny. Uh, anywho, um, we are back again with her new book, Secret of the Sphinx. And joining us, we have Juan Ayala from the One on One podcast as a co-host. Because that's like what we like to do sometimes. Anywho, this is a, a great deep dive into some of the other alternative theories on the Sphinx. These past couple months we've talked a lot about pyramids but there's always in the alluring Giza plateau the secret of the sphinx and there are many books written on the topic and there are many theories as to the faces change the meaning the bunkers underneath so on and so forth i'm sure you are well equipped on all of your sphinx gnosis but today, we're getting straight information from the astral realm, the ethereal realm, from a licensed hypnotist. And if you haven't checked out Sarah Breskman Cosme's work, please do that. There will be a link down below in the show notes. Uh, her books are awesome. They are available on Audible. Well, her first book's available on Audible. The second one, she's just about finished with, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Fantastic stories of 
her patients and when they go into the trance state they are able to uh, to bring up some of their past lives and a lot of them have reoccurring themes them being in ancient At- Atlantean times and ancient Egypt for this one specifically and so it's really cool her work is awesome and I hope to talk to more hyp- hypnosis hypnotist in the future I've reached out to one he never got back to me uh, but you know if you guys have any uh, any fun leads on any hypnotist that you know be sure to email us that speaking of emailing email us whatever you want it's in the show notes here so grab it click it write things write what you're inspired by if there's anything that stuck out to you if there's any theme you want us to go in on for a month or two um, any ideas we're absolutely open we want to hear from you of course of course so go ahead and email us uh, some some fun stuff let's get to know each other a little bit more you know it's fun we're all here just floating through time and space little time and space babies floating in the soup that's what we are and what we do of course i would love it if you guys joined us on the telegram telegram is an amazing social media and i say amazing because i'm talking about comparatively to some of the some of the other mainstream social medias like facebook and instagram um it's really cool it's a really great and easy way for podcasters and um and the community to to vibe out meet up on the interwebs and share pdf books and videos and we all get to be interested in the same things in the same space and so it's really special and great and there is a link for that also in the show notes also in the show notes there is a link to our patreon if you guys want to support dan and i on this crazy venture um you know go ahead and support us it's three bucks a month we absolutely appreciate it a whole bunch there's a lot of content there and we are creating more all the time and a bunch of great stuff to dive in on and of course if you do that and you know uh send you a personal shout out and say thank you and maybe we'll get to uh you know get to share some stories and you know as a as a member of the community you know if you guys want to talk on the air um, all you got to do is write in and and show interest in it and we'll, we'll get some stories out if you have any paranormal stories or um you know ufo stories or any stories that you want to share that you feel like need to be out there be sure just to email me and we'll make it happen you know uh, your stories deserve to be heard, deserve to be told. Your research, your work, you know, whatever it is, just, just don't be, don't be scared to, to send us a message. <laughs> Anyways, that's just about it. I do want to tell you guys about VisionSwitch.space. Speaking of, you know, the ethereal realm. 
I have a great friend, as does Dan now. She's been on the show a couple times, Sabaya Sogard. She has her company called Vision Switch, where she offers her psychic readings, energy readings, energy healings and clearings, as well as past life readings. And she's offering the Fire Tribe a great discount. If you go to visionswitch.space and reach out to her for some work, tell her that you're from the Fire Tribe, that part of uh, the Rising from the Ashes community, then you will get a great discount on that. And that's always great. We love that. So she's offering that to you guys specifically. And she's been in the clairvoyant realm working for um, a few years now. And she's really good. I absolutely love her so much. And I hope that you guys will too. And if you do go and see her, make sure to let me know about that. And I'm curious if you're if you're willing to share your experience. I'd I'd love to talk about it. Um, it's always fun to talk to people who have you know done the same things and had the same type of work before. And so that that's pretty much it, everybody. We don't have an RFTA news segment for you today, but you will have one next week with Adam Stokes for sure. And we're going to uh, dive into a new topic starting these next couple months. We're going to be focusing on paranormal, parapsychology, ufology. And we're going to weave in the earthen, uh, the earthen electrical system through ley lines, cymatics, dowsing, sacred sites. And see how they mingle together. See if we can create a weave, a master weave over these next couple months. And that's about it, everybody. No RFTA news today. We're just going to go straight into the interview. And I hope you guys enjoy. I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Rising from the Ashes. <laughs> I'm Danny Naki Dan. That is and I'm Juan, Juan from the Juan Juan Podcast. Yes. And Roman. I was trying to imitate Romy, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. All good. Roman is on his way. He's running a little bit behind. And we are joined today with Sarah Bressman Cosme. It's good to have you back because our last episode got destroyed by Zencaster and uh, we had to splice it together and Roman made a cool little um, episode out of it with some music behind it with some words and whatnot but it was uh, it was very sad for us because we thought it was such a great interview so we're glad to have you back on the show again and this time, we're going to be talking a little bit about your other book, uh, Hypnotist Guide to the Secrets of the Sphinx. Um, we might go into a little bit of Atlantis and Lemuria, too. Uh, because it's Florida, because both of you are in Florida, I think this will be pretty interesting because we've been... Um, there's this new... Not new, but Juan and... Roman and a few other people have been doing research on Florida and uh, there's like some 
evidence that maybe Florida is the Garden of Eden. And it's very interesting that your contactee, Jen, was uh, contacting with Lumeria. And I was kind of wondering if, is she originally from Florida also? She's originally from New York City. Oh, okay. But what was interesting is her when she would go deep under hypnosis, her subconscious kept saying that through all her lives, she would end up on the East Coast. She couldn't move from the East Coast because it was the one of the closest points to where she lived in Atlantis. Mm. So it, from most of my clients, describe Atlantis as being in the Atlantic Ocean. And it was very large. I mean, but everything looked different back then. So when my clients would leave their body and they would look on at the globe, it would look so different with like water and coastlines and different places. But Atlantis seemed to span from like all the way to like North America. And then the um, uh, Western Africa or Northern Africa was seen as like a lone sandbar that went from like where Egypt is to the Sphinx. So it looked totally like it looked different. And, but Atlantis was very large, but Lemuria was, I mean, most people described it as being in the South Pacific, also very large. Oh, interesting. Cause I thought she had a connection to Lemuria though, not Atlantis. She did. She did, which was so interesting. So what's really interesting about it all is after we uncovered everything, she moved to Hawaii to be back to the closest oh. place to where she felt Lemuria was. She moved to the big island of Hawaii because she felt the strongest resonance there. But she couldn't go. Her subconscious said she couldn't go until she uncovered this important information. And then after that was done, she moved her family over there and she's really happy now, which is great for awesome. her. Yeah. Hawaii has definitely a different vibe than everywhere else. Uh, you can it feel does. it. You can feel it when you go there. Um, and they still have the remnants of a lot of things that she was describing in, in the book. I mean, when she was growing up in Lemuria, they used to walk around on, around these labyrinths and by walking around and meditating, it would change your vibration. So you'd be a different vibrational match to the answer that you were trying to get or to the, to your question. And they still have on top of these mountainsides, they have these um, labyrinths. It's so interesting. And then in Lemuria, when people would describe going into these like special rooms where they would meditate they had the flower of life symbol mm. everywhere. And now when I went to Hawaii to see, and they still have that symbol and they still know, it's almost like they know it's, um, has a lot of energy from Lemuria there. Yeah. It's really yeah. fascinating. <laughs> you know what that is? You know what I found out the flower of life symbol is from my clients is that it's a key. It's like a, it's coded. So when you stare at that symbol, it automatically downloads all this information and it unlocks transmission to your like star family, basically. You can ask a question. Mm -hmm. You can ask a question and just stare at it a little bit. And it's coded to be a key. And when it downloads information, not like a little information, it's like a lot. And you might not consciously know it though. 
I did an episode on the 12 vile vortices around the world. And it was, it was uh, this theory brought up by a guy named, I, I believe, Ivan Sanderson. And these are places around the world where the veil is thinner. And you brought up Hawaii, and I believe one of the ones is by Hawaii. I'm trying to see where on the ley lines Hawaii sits, but I think there are many crossing ley lines at that one point. And the theory is there's 12 vile vortices, the Bermuda Triangle being the most famous one, but around these areas is where the 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 veil is thinnest. So there's more UFO sightings, there's paranormal activity, skinwalker ranch, like skinwalker ranch type of thing. Mm-hmm where a uh-huh. lot of crazy things happen. But in, in these 12 areas around the world, you have, you've had Mohenjo-Daro whole civilizations go missing because, again, it's near these weird areas where the magnetic, the South Atlantic anomaly is where the the belts around the war, the Earth, I, for, I always forget the name, the Van, Van Allen belts, I believe that's is the name of it, I always get it wrong, uh, where they're closest to the surface of the Earth and there, there's been planes have gone missing. I believe the latest one was one of the, one of the Malaysia flights went missing around that area. And there's the show Manifest. I don't know if you guys have seen that, where they literally go through a wormhole. Spoiler alert, they go through like a wormhole and they come back five years later. But they hadn't, you know, they didn't know what time had passed. Mm-hmm. When they come back, they're like, it's five years later, their entire families have moved on. So it makes me think of these things. Because I do believe that the people in power... Art is the subconscious bleeds through art, and they it's almost like a revelation of method where they put it in these movies like fiction, but it's actually reality, it's what happens in real life. But they're not going to come out and be like, Hey, this is real, you right. know, we can see into, into other dimensions. Let's make a show about it, it's called Stranger Things, and let's make a whole series about it, let's make a bunch of money of people watching it. So, right, definitely, and you're so right. It goes straight through the subconscious, art does, and it goes into the subconscious because I think the people in power know that if they can control the belief system of humans, then they can basically control reality because essentially each person is literally creating their own reality. And if you can find a way to control that, then you can do whatever you want. And it's what Plato talked about in the Republic, where they were going to limit certain arts and certain musical notes and certain frequencies because he understood that it spoke to whatever the soul is, whatever. And the soul to him was also consciousness because they didn't have a word for it back then. So he called it the soul, the essence, whatever it is that makes us us, that Mm -hmm. the divine spark, if you will. But they did understand that back then. And that's why they wanted to limit the arts that people could intake in this this utopia essentially this new atlantis for him right uh, and uh, cuz they understood that if if they would inspire people people would be more prone to breaking out of the system and how you're saying create their own realities cuz it's all about perception a lot of people don't understand that that the way that you perceive things uh does make the biggest difference in the universe essentially and the observer effect is a real thing so i do i do believe it's all about perception and the way that you look at things it's so true and it's interesting because you know like i said if you can control you know what people believe you can control everything but i think there's been so much suppression suppression to the truth which is that every human is super powerful did i freeze 
Mm-mm. You're good. Oh, okay. No, every every human is super, super powerful. They're so powerful, but all that information has been suppressed. They don't want anyone to know just their capabilities. You know, they don't want people to know that they could create their own reality or literally do anything they wanted to. And they can manifest, you know, just through their own emotions or tapping into themselves. All that information has been hidden. I guess one froze. (laughs) (laughs) I got lost. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, Roman just texted me too. He's going to be in in a minute. Um, Well, hmm. I have a lot of questions to ask you, Sarah, but I kind of wanted both of them to be here for those questions because I kind of wanted to get a little bit deeper uh with kind of your work and stuff and talk to you more about like the the like the cognitive aspect of it or the consciousness aspect of it of what do you think people are actually seeing when they go into these past life regressions do you think it's just something that's deep in their consciousness or do you think it's like actually something that happened to them in a past life what is what is time really anyway? Such a great question. You know, when people go really deep into um, hypnosis and they're in that deep theta state, I, they connect to universal consciousness, basically. So you're just mm-hmm. tapping into everything. You're tapping into the oneness. So basically you can remember somebody else's life because essentially when a human goes through the death process, as soon as they die, they can themselves a we. And you know what I find one of the most fascinating things is I can't tell you how many countless clients I've had that are regressed. They don't believe in extraterrestrials or whatever when they come in and then they remember being an extraterrestrial. And I remember when the first person remembered being an extraterrestrial, I thought, that's weird that they remembered. Aren't they different? Aren't extraterrestrials different than us? And then slowly over the years, I realized, no, (laughs) we are the extraterrestrials, basically. It's all like, according to my clients, don't know one another that come in that I've never, you know, even thought of these things. They remember the same things, the same type of clothes. They might describe the planet exactly the same way, their missions the same way, and they don't have any previous knowledge about that. And these are their memories. Mm -hmm. So I really think, you know, we're all so much more one than we really realize. And I've asked, you know, these higher consciousness when, you know, they come through or like if an extraterrestrial is coming through, I ask them. I ask, is there any difference between like my soul after I leave this life and your soul? And the answer is no. And then I was like, well, can I go from here, you know, to like the Pleiades say, and they said, no, because your soul doesn't have enough soul work to go from here to there. You would have to do enough soul work. And I was like, well, what, what does a human really have to do? Like, what's the purpose? What's the agenda? Like, what is everybody doing? And countless times, the higher consciousness will say, oh, it's just like every other, you know, race that's, that's working together. You're trying to figure out that you are God consciousness, essentially. You're trying to figure out that you are source. And 
Mm. It's your belief system that doesn't let you believe that. But once a whole group of you, you know, actually understands that, completely understands it, then you will just move up into different frequencies and you keep ascending. But that's essentially what they've said other races do. Like I asked, what did Arcturians do? You know, how did they get so advanced? And they were like, that's that's what they did as a collective over the millennia to understand themselves as source. Now they don't need the lessons, but basically it seems like we're here to learn that. We come in forgetting that we're a part of it and that we have this journey to remembering. <laughs> then we leave, then we try it all again, but you could just bypass that work and just understand you're God, basically. Wow. Do you think these memories are retained in our in our DNA or in our blood or... Uh, how how are we how are we getting to our next life with these memories retained like deep in our subconsciousness? Oh, I, they're definitely retained. When anybody goes under hypnosis and they connect with that feel, with that subconscious or higher consciousness, whatever you want to call it, they have access to everything. They have access mm -hmm. to all the different things they've done, all the different you know, parallel lives they're doing, all the extraterrestrial versions of themselves, you know, and really you realize you're so much greater, but experiences. And then when you, when you pass, you have access to all of them. So is it like our pineal gland is like a Wi-Fi connection to, to everything. Yeah. And then we're just connecting yeah. into that more so than it's just being passed on through generation. Um, I think it's more than just your pineal gland. It's everything. It's your, it's like you know, essence. Culmination of. But it's interesting that you said the pineal gland. I mean, I've had clients that remember being like a Sasquatch, <laughs> and so they remember like having a really freed pineal gland, and oh. they can focus on the air around them, and they can easily go in and out of dimensions just through their focus and through their pineal gland. It's so interesting. Then they'll go in these different dimensions and come back for like berries or something. Wow. So as a, as a Sasquatch, do they feel like they're an alien or do they feel like they're from this planet? They have said they're, they feel more native to this planet than oh. like us humans. Cause we've been, you know, um, we're more like, uh, <laughs> tampered, I guess, more genetically, yeah. you know, mixed with so many multiple alien DNA and things like that. But yeah. Fascinating. But we move in and out of dimensions all the time when we're sleeping, but we just don't realize it. And then a lot of the shamans understand, have a perfectly freed pineal gland and understand how to do it themselves. So they can go in and out of dimensions into like the lower world and whatever you want to call it. It's really interesting. The stuff I find out. <laughs> That's great. Uh, hello, hello, hello. I just want to um, say I apologize for being late. Um, and then it took me about 10 minutes to even get my sound working. Um, but uh, wonderful conversation so far, guys. Uh, and hello, Sarah. Hi. Uh, I'm hoping that today uh, is is foolproof because last time was so such an amazing conversation that we had some uh, some break up there in the middle. But 
I'm actually curious if there was like a retrograde going on when we chatted last time because like, maybe what, yeah I don't, that would be funny if there was like a retrograde cycle of communication <laughs> it would uh, make sense Juan was in here and he's been kicked off twice because of <laughs> his connection so there you go oh wow wow <laughs> yeah so strange interference yeah, your audio is a little uh, muffled too, Roman. Sweet, thanks. I'll work on it. All right, thank you. Um, so also, Sarah, so we're kind of talking a little bit about consciousness and uh, about Lemuria and everything. Uh, one of the things that I talked to you about last time, and we totally completely lost all of the audio for it, but we've been bringing it up in conversations since then because it's been popping up over and over and over again. And that's this Atlantean red crystal. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what my client kept seeing. So <laughs> she saw these really special crystals. Jen was somebody that didn't know anything about any of this stuff at all. Mm -hmm. It seemed like... Um, Atlantis in the very beginning had more red crystals and they were taken away over time because they were so powerful. They were just, you know, um, it was kind of scary for them to have it, but it was Lemuria that had working red crystals that created this immunity for them. And so Jen was very, in her time in Lemuria, very familiar with the red crystals. They would hold the history of you know, their history, basically, and the history of other planets as well. They're really powerful crystals where they could communicate with their home planet through the red crystals, but they knew how to be a channel. And one of the reasons why these rulers of Lemuria especially were channels was because they had RH negative blood, which was the royal bloodline, and it enabled them to be able to read these special crystals. The RH negative blood was considered the gift of the stars because it symbolized the union of one of the extraterrestrials that came down that was seeding the population, and this this um, DNA worked. It, it survived. It created a bunch of new um, hybrid babies, and so they were considered um, the royal bloodline, hmm. negative blood. It always makes so much sense because, uh, you know, how the breeding works now with people with RH negative blood and RH positive, they can't interbreed unless they have a very specific type of drug that they take very early on in the process. But yeah, so, you know, there really is something to that. Um, I, I'm curious when on the mainstream level we'll ever get to break that ice to dig a bit deeper into those types of mysteries on a mainstream level because surely enough on the alternative paradigms and the alternative medias it gets talked about a lot and a lot of different um, stories tied into it and it's all incredibly fascinating but just on on a scientific level you know in modern mainstream society you can't interbreed with a uh, rh positive and rh negative humans and that's it's fascinating it is really fascinating i mean that just goes to show there's something you know different about this mm -hmm. blood type 
And the O blood type was was what most of the Atlanteans had, according to my which was interesting because they came originally from this other extraterrestrial that was seeding the planet. And so they were um, kind of more hybridized, so to speak. Do these extraterrestrials have names? Or well, they were Canadian. Will we know them? Are they familiar in like the myths or like totally different? No, you know, she didn't know anything about like the Anunnaki story or anything like that, like in key and everything like that. And she didn't call them by any names. She didn't even know about extraterrestrials when we started doing this. And so she just remembered being a commander of a ship and totally describing it like her firsthand experience crash landing on earth and what that was like. And it was so wild because this is somebody who didn't believe in any of this stuff. So I thought, Oh my gosh. And then she just could describe it in so many details. And how it felt to come to earth because on their planet, they didn't, it was so far and they had to take classes before they came to earth because they didn't have things like walking or eating. And so all these things seemed really strange about earth, but they had to, you know, do these classes to figure out how to do this before coming to earth for the first time. But then when they were on the earth for the first time, it was really uncomfortable to feel things like hunger, like loneliness. It was so overwhelming you know, and, and it was cold. And it emotions. was difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And emotions. Cause a lot will say they don't have their body when they're on a different planet, but they only have their body when they're interacting with humans uh -huh. or they're in the 3d plane. That's like when I was um, trying to, when I was learning more about the Sphinx being built yeah. They didn't have bodies. They had light bodies. And it looked like these angular white lights just shooting around, creating this structure, and then creating these massive tunnel systems underneath. Oh, wow. It was before anything, before the planet was seeded even, that that structure was apparently created. Wow. Like a uh, massive 3D printer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's that's crazy uh so i i um i'm fresh on your your stories of the sphinx i have yet to dig into your book but i've done a lot of other research and very very excited to to talk about this and it seems like you already uh brought it up a little bit but what is the the story of the creation of the sphinx due to your uh your research and encounters so I was working with the same subject because obviously she was so good. And what I liked the most about her was that she didn't have any conscious understanding of any of this stuff. I thought in that way, it would help me validate this information. And I didn't let her, find, I didn't let her research any, any kind of past life regression or any kind of information at all until we were done. But when she was under hypnosis, she, we started uncovering the information about the Sphinx because she went back to a lifetime in the 1970s, believe it or not, where she was uncovering all this information with a different hypnotist. And when that, that other hypnotist was uncovering information with her, she learned all about the Sphinx and all about the Sphinx being built. So she saw it being built before there were any, you know, humans on earth at that time. And what had happened was there was this like 
they were searching for a place that would be good for this structure. And they found this structure basically because it was created from this asteroid or something that came from outer space and embedded itself in a rock. And that was able to harness and magnify energy. So it could act as a massive storage device, a massive hard drive, and it holds the history of humanity in the Sphinx. Also, there's other structures like this all throughout the world, but they have kind of eroded a little bit, but the Sphinx is still there. And what's really fascinating that we were learning is that other planets also have these type of structures. A lot of my clients will remember going to this one planet that has these spout, like spire type devices on it. And as soon as they get close to the planet, they usually start crying. It's massive the amount of emotion that most people feel when they get close to this planet. They consider it their home planet and they miss it so much. It's in a lot of people's DNA, in their blood to miss this planet. And there's like this... Um, the spire communicates to our sphinx and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So whatever is happening on our planet is being broadcast to a bunch of other planets also have these sphinx-like structures. So it's all set up so we can kind of keep tabs on one another and know, you know, how close we are to our ascension. Are we doing okay? You know, because everything that affects Earth affects the whole universe since we are everything, basically. I, I'm sorry that I've, I, I guess, making fun of the reptilians before coming on, they didn't like that. So they <laughs> terminated my connection for like 20 minutes. And I know I missed a, a good section of it, but I have some interesting questions because this idea of, right, people are reaching out to you, they are experiencing other lifetimes. Would that mean that, that there is actually less people? on earth than, than we think, because if once you pass on to that next lifetime after you end this one and you inhibit another one or you take over another one, how does that work? Do you, you, you understand what I'm trying to get as like, is there like, a limited amount of souls that is, is like a pool of souls? Yeah, it seems like there are a limited amount of souls that this is like the golden ticket. Everybody wants to be here for this experience because what is happening on earth is new because earth is sort of new in its development, believe it or not. So Earth beings are considered like children, and we're about to go through this massive like awakening, basically, is what countless clients will say. So these people don't contact me like on the phone. They're my clients that come that don't know one another, who go under hypnosis and then all say the same things, basically. Interesting. And I've heard as I've heard Earth referred to as a stepping stone. And why is it, because you're saying that they miss this planet, it's their home planet, they're drawn to it, there's some sort of magnetism that pulls them in. Why is it that, or why do you think that all these ancient civilizations, a lot of which talk about the body and earth being a prison? And I mean, look at Western philosophy and the religion here, where they're preparing for the afterlife. They, they, they want to transcend, right. and they talk about, the Gnostics talked about this being a prison for the soul or, or like a, it's like a hollow shell. Why do you, you know, think I've that heard is? That. I've heard that, but to be honest, I've never heard that in the sessions, quite the opposite, that there are so many souls that want to get, have an experience on earth. And right now there's many like star seeds from other planets 
that came here to volunteer. They wanted to come here. This is what a lot of beings consider like the golden ticket because there's been other little small pockets of groups like the um like the people in Mount Shasta or like the Mayans, little small groups who have ascended already, but they're projecting a massive group ascending. And so to be here during this amazing time, according to them, is so exciting. Like, it looks like it's terrible when you look, you know, on the news or something like that, but it's not what I hear at all I, in the I, sessions. I, I like, I vibe with that more personally because, <clears throat> You know, granted, there's all this other side side mumbo jumbo going on. I really do feel that there is the true presence of the cosmic code here and that it is a true blessing to be here. It's an absolute honor, uh, you know, and the amount of gratitude that fills my bones on the daily when I step outside and see the trees could give me more than any money could ever fill my soul or satisfy me on that end. And there is a big mission. What that is, <laughs> figuring it out. But uh, I, I feel like, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no. Some people don't even have to do anything. Some people are from other planets and they're like the type of people that had a really difficult childbirth because their vibration is different. So the mother either had a miscarry right before they were born or their birth was just somewhat difficult and they're super, super sensitive to violence and they don't really quite get why everybody is the way they are on earth. And those be people, all they need to do is just be here. Like they're pulling in a frequency from a different plane that's so high that just by them just you could do nothing and you'd be fulfilling a huge mission by being here ultimately and the back to the idea of there being them wanting to extract us from this realm I think that goes back to the inversion that we've seen all throughout history where they you know up is really down and down is really up with these elites and I wanted to ask you, have you ever come across, because I always like to talk about the governors, the archons, the reptilian, the reptilian overlords. Have you ever come across anything like that? Have people told you, like, there are these entities, because like yeah. Robert Monroe talks about, there are these entities who are harvesting our energy and trying to stop us. Have you run across any reptilian talk? Well, what I've heard was that when they first started seeding our planet, they did so mostly in Antarctica, and they had these kind of factories set up, and everything was going really smoothly. Antarctica looked a lot different. It looked, you know, beautiful and um, green. And what happened was something either arrived on the back of one of somebody's ship, or came in when people were exiting from Mars or came in through an asteroid. No one really knows exactly where it came in. But whenever this thing came in, it brought the fear virus. So essentially, it was something that wasn't planned for this experiment. This experiment was supposed to be like a totally different type of experiment without the fear virus. But what happens when you have a planet with a virus is it just kind of changes the experiment, so to speak. There's more, more polarity. And basically, on every 
planet, they have a law, but this planet does have the law of duality. So you have to have good and bad or whatever. You, you have to abide by those laws when you come to this planet. But the problem is it attracts this kind of like um, vibration. So it attracts beings that feed off of fear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And essentially mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. beings that, you know, or people that if they're more of what you would call a negative part of the negative polarity, then they get their energy from, you know, getting more negative energy. So they go about whatever way they can to like pull this negative energy or fear. Fear is one of the easiest ways to control the population. And when you get a whole population in fear, there's a lot of beings feeding off of the fear. It's almost like akin to like when you a shark like is attracted to a fish that's creating a certain vibration in the water because it's injured and it's bloody, you know, it's similar. So you know, if you're really fully in fear or feeling like a strong desire to do something hateful or mean, then you are essentially, you know, um, putting that vibration out there. And there's things that would love to feed off of your vibration, but they can't assert themselves onto the earth. So the way they assert their control is through other people. They can do that through like different means of like mind control and stuff like that. I mean, there's so many agendas. They're the original puppet masters. And it makes me think about, I just lost the name, but the Gustave Le Bon, I don't know if you've ever read the crowd it's he's the father of crowd psychology and it always seems that whenever i'm reading a scholarly type of work somehow the metaphysical always is in a play mm-hmm. whenever it comes to these works yeah. or the occult and in this in this book he talks about the psychological process that a crowd goes through and how it develops and it becomes its own living organism. And, but it starts off with what you're saying, with this metaphysical contagion, this parasite mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. takes over people in this environment because I guess their, their aura is all blobbed up and it just, I just see it just like this black thing just, you know, rolling over everybody and take, because you see it in these videos as of, you know, a couple of years ago, a year ago now with the riots and this civil unrest where people were just not acting themselves. There were some sort of zombies that were under a trance. And, and yeah. people always said, I mean, all the riots and all the wars that have gone out, it brings out this bestial nature in man and it's how you're saying it's this this predatory essence if you will that that shows itself up in these group environments and a group a crowd could be a whole city or a whole entire civilization or an entire continent continent because it you they meet certain criterias but essentially a, a society is a crowd and you see it spreading throughout the people and it transforms them it's it's really really odd <laughs> wow yeah it's amazing. There's just this war on consciousness so that, you know, the beings that feed off of the fear and everything don't want you to know just how powerful you are because then you wouldn't be in fear anymore. I wanted to uh, yeah. get back to the Sphinx a little bit. Uh, I recently heard um, somebody else say that the Sphinx was actually a lynx and it was a cat. A female cat and the reason why it was a lynx was because it was a, a link to different places 
And when you brought that up earlier and I listened to one of your interviews, it, it kind of seemed like that's kind of uh, what you got to from, from Jen when she was doing her regressions is is that the lynx was a uh, the sphinx was a female and it was a lynx did did she actually say it was a lynx uh i just heard that she said it was a feminine cat um, she said uh, it was um a jungle cat because these structures were built as if they were you know part they were the apex predator in the area mm-hmm. so in that place they had these large large jungle like cats with like boxy type uh, faces and that was the face of the sphinx until symbolically it was taken down with like the whole pool of greed and masculine energy just taken down and then a man's face was on it i before i cut out earlier you were going on about these light beings building the sphinx and obviously there are numerous numerous theories on the sphinx but i've i like the idea that because i've also heard that they would use the sphinx at sunrise to prophesize to people they would ask it questions at sunrise and it makes me think about the idea that the sun is a portal and maybe how you're saying these light beings would come only at a certain time of the day so as soon as the sun was coming up this portal in the sky and that they would use the Sphinx for divination purposes and ask it whatever, but it it would only happen at sunrise. And then you, I know you brought up these light beings, so it makes me think like these light beings come out of the sun and build the Sphinx and then go back into it, and they would only show up at a certain time of day mm. or something like that. Well, I, I found that's really interesting. I didn't find anything out about that, but it is interesting that you say the sun is a portal because I've heard that so many times, like just really quickly, I'll tell you, I had this client who really wanted to lose weight and she came in and she tried everything, you know, like all kinds of fad diets. It was obvious there was something going on. And her higher self, her subconscious said, that's she doesn't, she can't lose weight because she doesn't go outside without her contacts on. And I was like, what do you mean? That's just a surprising answer. Can't lose weight. And her subconscious said, yeah, it's, you know, humans need to understand that the sun is a portal and that humans need unfiltered sunlight through their eyes. Because what's happening, especially right now, is this, the sun is carrying information and codes and it goes through the eyes to the pineal gland and then it brings this information throughout the body and that just by going in the sun a little bit and looking at the sun a little bit like not staring at it don't die you know it can totally change your whole life because it could what happens is what they were saying is that information is broadcast through the sun since it is a portal and so you can get this information in that way And it doesn't have to be something you consciously know, but it's totally changing your DNA whenever you do something like this. Mm. I've, uh, I've had a, I've had a couple uh, out of body experiences that, that led my soul to the collective outside of the geodesic barrier (laughs) that Uh is. And, um, I don't know if it was in the general direction of the sun uh, per se, because when I got up there, it wasn't bright. Um, It was actually really dark. 
um and the sun was nowhere near around but the, everybody was these types of like light blue milky blue kind of um just energies and we're all just budding each other looking at back down at the earth like kind of just next to each other looking and everybody's kind of waiting their turn um but the sun itself I mean, I like this. I like to think that it could be a portal. I mean, it go, you know, you get that chance every day, and the second it pops right over the hills or the mountains, sets in this new, this new day, this new time. It's a brand new existence almost, like the clock being completely reset, like a door being open um, to jump through and to gather information of sorts. And yeah, that's a fascinating topic. Um, there is there what were the associations um with the sphinx and the uses of it to these people what was it their importance besides information like you know i know it was like a like a battery mainly kind of right or like uh -huh. a computer software program where they could have and harness energy but the pyramids were yet to even be thought of at this point right right it was sort of like the internet almost like a massive hard drive yeah. That's yeah, Wi-Fi that would store and broadcast information, but also things were hidden under the Sphinx. Some people remembered, you know, there was technology down there, ships down there. Wow. They would have crystal like um, grids down there. And when I was working with Jen, you know, like I said, she didn't know anything about this stuff. She kept saying there's this being named Three. I don't know who this being is, but this being named three knows a lot about the Sphinx and this being named three comes down and shares information. So later I learned that there's this being called Trice, oh, I can't say it, Thrice Trismegis, I can't yes, say her, it. Hermes, Hermes Trismegis. Yes, Hermes Trismegis. Yes. And was going by the name of three. It was really wild to put these oh. puzzle pieces together mm -hmm. and to realize who she was talking about, somebody who didn't even know any of this stuff, you know? So it was wild. But yeah, they used the Sphinx for many different things. The Sphinx was originally the outpost of um, Atlantis. And the reason it was the outpost was because the founder could feel a difference in energy when he was first, you know, um, creating his human hybrid slaves around mm. the sphinx and that's right where atlantis was set up that was a very outpost of it basically and you know how we were talking about the bermuda triangle earlier well i heard that was where the capital was and and if you, <laughs> when you and some of that technology is still down there so what the, um they were saying was that if what happens to some people is that if things go haywire with that technology then you can bump into a different dimension. You would be still alive, but you would go into a different dimension. It's funny how these shows are like interesting ways of disclosing information too. Yeah, right. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, and it's it's a, it's a build it builds off of theories and it, it works like and, and makes new thought babies happen and like yeah. new things come to light. It's absolutely beautiful, tremendous. So the Sphinx is hollow, no doubt. There's tunnels yeah. underneath. Yeah. Um, how far, how far underneath, how hollow is Egypt? Because there's stories of tunnels going all the way to England that connect. Oh, definitely. Whoa. Definitely. These tunnel systems are massive. 
And one of the reasons, I mean, there's so many reasons for the tunnel systems. One of the reasons was before the ice age, they created these tunnel systems. So they didn't want to lose their experiment, all these humans. So they created these massive tunnel systems. But I mean, those tunnel systems were used by extraterrestrials, by beings that clean up, you know, the earth a little bit here and there that change the timeline. So we don't really remember, notice, <laughs> and there's a lot of different convergent points within these tunnel systems where beings come together and like trade information, trade ideas. A lot of times there were big giants that would live within the tunnel systems. All different types of beings would use the tunnel systems, including humans. And and some sort of um, <clears throat> the, the mineral composites down there right like that has to maybe play a role as to an importance for underneath the surface because that's where we mine we mine under the right. ground that's where all of these right. beautiful things that we need to make conductive materials and to gather crystal energy um <clears throat> is down there so do you think there's a hub somewhere that's still being held like the Shamb shambhala type of aspect I think there's a bunch of them. I don't think there's just one. I think there's a bunch of convergent points where beings get together and they, you know, trade information and ideas. And there's a bunch of, bunch of colonies under there. Um, and also there's some reptilian um, groups that live in these cavernous type places within the earth. Definitely. I want to wow. bring up this really interesting, because I do believe that, there are certain entities that have been in touch with humanity since the beginning of time. And these are the entities that uh, the likes of John D. Albert Kelly that they were talking to, they were peeking into other dimensions and talking to these entities and they were receiving information back. And I believe that H.P. Lovecraft was in touch with one of these entities. He was a lover of of little trinkets little craft yeah little trinkets and he would collect oriental pottery and we know that jinn are able to attach themselves these again a contagion the lower vibrational entities are able to attach themselves to inanimate objects and the story goes that he was collecting this little oriental pottery and he got a, a, a possessed by this jinn right cthulhu and the mythos was birthed from that right these entities can't do anything else, so they need that human medium to be able to come to manifestation. Now, there's an interesting story uh, called Imprisoned with the Pharaohs, and or it's go, it goes by a few different names. Imprisoned with the Pharaohs, Under the Pyramids, also Entombed with the Pharaohs, and it's a story that H.P. Lovecraft wrote for Harry Houdini. And the story goes that he Harry Houdini writes a fictional story, fictional. Harry Houdini was on vacation in Egypt, and he was abducted by his tour guide and taken underneath the Sphinx to where he was taken and sacrificed, allegedly, uh, to this octopus humanoid god thing under the Sphinx. But these, the, the, this is a story that Houdini's telling H.P. Lovecraft to write for him. And the, the guide's name was Abdul Rouse El Drogman. And this, and this, alter ego that hp lovecraft had when he was a little boy was abdul al-hazred so it's kind of like the same wow. thing so they're they're in contact in their nightmares with this entity right wow. and it's speaking to both of them and 
I just find the the resemblance to the both names like uh but then he's talking about under the sphinx there's you know there was these underground civilization and they were sacrificing people to this crazy looking god so i don't know again this is fiction but we talk we're talking about people who use fiction as a medium to portray the occult because they can't come out and say hey there's this thing under the sphinx and we sacrifice people to it right right and I, I like the little bit of fear they throw in just to yes. get everybody really afraid. <laughs> yeah. so I found it really weird that they that they talk about the Sphinx and it's mm-hmm. fiction, but then we have we know that there are underground tunnels. The reason that you see the I'm I'm planning actually a trip to Egypt next early next year with a friend of mine. And nice. the reason that you see the pyramids and you don't see anything around them is because it's all underground tunnels and if you were to build anything on it mm-hmm. they would literally crumble yeah. and fall into because mm-hmm. the, the 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 foundation wouldn't be able to hold it there's just too many caverns and right. tombs and tunnels underneath it's crazy it's like a hollow under there it's so much the, so the Nile flooding, right, happened quite consistently, and and uh, they and they would use it for their agricultural purposes, and mm-hmm. they would do they would do a lot of things with it. You know, it's it'd probably be a pretty spiritual uh, time when the floods would come in. You know, it'd be everybody would come together and have to do these things. You know, to prepare for the floods, and I'm wondering how the Sphinx. Uh, played a part of this, like, you know, maybe as an access point during the floods, like, cause you know, were the tunnels exposed at, uh, you know, at any point or like, were they filling the tunnels with water underneath? Like, it's so fascinating. I have no I idea. Know. Well, I know the Sphinx was totally underwater cause clients remember that they remember it being totally underwater. Wow. And, and, but none of its power or anything was lost at all because it was such um, advanced technology can basically withstand anything because it's not the facade. It's not like the face. That's Mm -hmm. what's so powerful. It's like the rock that it's built into. And so it's structures like that all over the world, probably like are signifying something maybe underneath. Yeah. Definitely. And they were saying that we'll be able to understand everything within the Sphinx and within these structures when we reach a certain level of consciousness, mm-hmm. but we can't understand it right now. Like if you were to fully understand everything within the Sphinx, you'd be fully enlightened, like fully awakened. <laughs> and then you wouldn't have this, you know, game, like you wouldn't, it wouldn't be a game or a lesson anymore. You mm-hmm. already just mm-hmm. go off a different planet. Oh. I find it interesting that yeah, I'm sorry, Dan. I find it interesting that secret societies like the Freemasons use the Sphinx outside mm-hmm. of their temples to signify the guarding of knowledge. And it makes me think, mm-hmm. what sort of knowledge would they be insinuating that is by this certain Sphinx? Because it's freaking massive. So imagine the, the the vault of knowledge that's underneath there. How you're saying if you were to unlock that key, you were talking about the, the, the flower of life being a mandala to be able to transport your consciousness. Well, we know that the Egyptians were using it. We know that they were sealing in their in their in their temples. They were putting the 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 flower of life. So, 
again, we this is technology that we don't understand. And I find it fascinating that you're having people reach out to you who are literally having to tap into otherworldly technologies to be able to come up with this information. And I've always <laughs> wondered how certain researchers are able to come up with the information they come up with. And it turns out that some researchers are actually tapping into otherworldly entities to acquire what I call ultra-terrestrial knowledge, which is knowledge outside the fabric of space and time that you you're able to tap into it but it's the faustian pact how much are you willing to give up it's also inside right. space and time as well as being yeah. outside it's, it's also here baby yeah de uh, definitely and i don't research anything i don't go about trying to find specific information because it just comes all to me i, I don't even know who these other people are i don't because i don't research any of it it's just all comes through my clients deep under hypnosis wow so why because they have an agenda that's what mm. they say they say we want this information out so we're going to share it with you and the information has its own consciousness it mm. shouldn't sit it shouldn't be stagnant it needs to be shared and the people that mm -hmm. need it will come across it and Sarah, you were recently yep. at the Sphinx yourself. Did you feel any type of energy when you were there? Or did you have any type of, uh, I, I don't know that you're clairvoyant or anything, but do you have I'm any not. of those abilities or anything like that? I intuition mean, I or anything? Feel, I could definitely feel the energy there, but it was before I knew any of this stuff because it was in 2019, mm -hmm. but I'm going back there this May with a group of people. So I'm really excited now that I know a lot more about it. Nice. I want to take the group and like do, um, since I'm going with another hypnotist, we're going to hypnotize everybody find out <laughs> what their memories are too. <laughs> I, I, okay. Just a couple things, just, just for fun, just for fun. This is for you, for anybody going out there, bring Geiger counters. Okay. Just a quick little simple Geiger counter, read the electromagnetic radiation going on. Maybe bring some magnets with you. Uh, yeah. I just, you know, I'm trying to live vicariously through y'all. I don't know when I'm going to get out there. Um, but you know, I'm super curious. Like, yeah, the, the potency is insane. It's insane. Uh, but I wanted just to tap on the, the cave, the whole cave thing and the Masons and the, and the Sphinx Masons love caves. Okay. I've been finding them everywhere. I'm now I'm digging into the Mason caves. The the early Mason lodges were caves in America and they actually have them all over the country. And people can just look up a Mason cave in your state. And I guarantee you, you will find a subterranean uh, meeting space for these, uh, for these Masons and they claim it. It's actually, there's lodge numbers for the caves. So um, I get, we, we're living on top of labyrinths underneath uh -huh. the ground. Yeah, we are. It's yeah. interesting too, because when people remember setting up the ley lines, they already mapped, they mapped everything out. Basically the cedars of the planet, they knew exactly where the, based on what the projected earth changes would be. They knew where populations would thrive the best. And so they set the ley lines to set up there because they knew that humans would be attracted somewhat to these ley lines. So humans just find themselves close to them. <laughs> I subscribe to the idea. Like a moth uh, to a flame. Um, yeah. Straight yeah, up, it is. Straight up. 
I'm obsessed with Pythagoras, and one of the things that Pythagoras said is all is number, and I believe if all is number, then it hints at binary code, and if it hints at binary code, I believe it's some sort of simulation of some sort. So there, there has to be an architect, there has to be some sort of programmer, and I believe what these individuals of back then were trying to do was uh, essentially create what CERN has done, where they're creating these mega computers and these mega portals, but they were using elemental technology. They were using the actual world as as a, a, a frequency as a conductor because that's why if you look at any ancient complex it looks like a circuit board it's the mm -hmm. wildest thing and if you look at the whole black aether thing with with i've talked to jared murphy where it's it's not aliens it's you know worse it's us but he talks about the 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 soil is conductive the actual soil itself is conductive and these people were able mm -hmm. to tap into this grid from one side of the world to another and the same soil the same composites the, the you know the what the soil is made of it's found in different parts of the world where these megalithic structures exist so they understood how nikola tesla nikola tesla knew about this and there's a reason why i call them the the lizard people but people like jp morgan or Westinghouse, or all these other lizard-esque people, a Rockefeller, or who you know, I'm sure there's other ones. Even Flagler from here, from Florida, Henry Flagler, <laughs> he, he was in bed with all those people. And when when Tesla was like, "Hey, I'm going to build this tower modeled after the pyramids, modeled after the pyramids, to do what? Well, to get free energy. Free what? Free? No, 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 no. There's nothing free here, bro. Let's shut you down." Let's go ahead and give everything to what Thomas Edison is going to be our boy. There he is. That's your man. And the rest is history because they, they were like, no, we can't <laughs> let people know that this is that they're able to tap into this tech. You know, we need to hoard it for ourselves and we need to monetize it and make money from this because, you know, it's out there. It's like the, the, the spring water here in Florida, they charge us for it. It comes <laughs> out of the ground, out of the out of a hole in the ground. And they yeah. charge us money for it. And these companies are taking millions and millions of gallons per day. It's like what the have, world gives it to you, bro, for free. What have clients said to you about this specific energy grid? Uh, you know, what, what has come up in readings about that? And like, is that a part of the agenda is to get everybody aware of this free energy that we can tap into? And if so, any blueprints? It's definitely, it seems like it's definitely coming because clients will remember like when they were or they are extraterrestrial, they go over places like rifts in the mountain or like volcanoes because this free energy is, is like spewing everywhere out of the earth and they know, already know how to tap into it and they're able to power their ship with that basically forever. But when I was getting the information about the Sphinx, I... A couple times what my session was stopped because they said you're getting too close to the compliment con confidential information about the free energy that's coming to the planet and it's too too dangerous to let any of that information out right now they were like we'll just um we'll, we'll allow your client to see something else <laughs> and then we'll bring her back <laughs> and and it was funny because I would get really close, like to finding out about this energy. I guess it comes from some other planet as well. They use it on some other planet and they would always stop the session and be like, nope, you're getting too close. We can't let that information out because they were really monitoring everything that was coming out. I have a question. Oh. Did these entity, well, so 
Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. So you're using these people are reaching out to you, and they're mm-hmm. essentially are they a medium or are they talking? They're talking from themselves as another entity, or do these entities have names? Do have did they oh, ever give you a, a great name? Question. No, they were just they would be clients that would come in for a session who wanted to like heal something like their shoulder, or maybe they're having relationship problems. Just really unsuspecting people coming in for a session. But what I do is Dolores Cannon's method of of deep hypnosis. So you basically find out everything about yourself. You can find out, you know, your purpose and you can even heal your body. But people come in for stuff like that. Like maybe they want to know their purpose in this life. And as part part of the session, I regress the client and they go through like a past life. And then they, we access their higher self, and then we ask all their questions. And some of the sessions that I use from my book, I use like different subjects that I work with all the time. So it was free. So I could ask personal questions, you know, about this information. And, but a lot of times it would still come through, you know, clients that were just there for, you know, healing something. And then information would come through from um, beings that would consider themselves a higher consciousness. So it would be like universal consciousness because they said they had an agenda. I started noticing this happening when I was first working with my first client, Jen, because the higher consciousness came through her and said, this information is so important for humanity. We're going to share it with you, but we want you to share it with the world and we'll just, you know, help you with this. So I was like, all right, whatever, you know, people say all (laughs) kinds of things, (laughs) but then this strange phenomenon started happening where all these people that didn't know one another started coming in for sessions, talking about the same things. And I still thought it was coincidence. Like I really just was like, what? And then I finally like got it through my head. Okay. I have to, you know, uncover this information and share it. Wow. How'd you feel? the? And I don't know, again, I was gone for a little bit, so I don't know if you guys talked to us, but how did you feel the first time that you were just working on this person, the very first time? And then they just start, start going <laughs> off on something. You're just like trying to, do you massage them at all? Or do you, <laughs> you're massage, what's going, what? Keep going. The answers of the universe? Absolutely. So how did you feel the very well, first time? I mean, I was just so used to hearing all kinds of stuff that I was just like, whatever, you know, I thought it was another day at the office, you know, and they're like, yeah, this is so important. We're going to send you all kinds of information. It's like, whatever, you know, and then when the phenomenon started happening, then I slowly started to understand, but it all started, all this stuff started when I moved my location, I was living in a different house. And literally, as soon as I got to this house, the number is 1212. There's, it's on some special, I don't know, line. It might be a ley line or something. Everything started happening once I moved here. And But I know now that I planned all that. Like, I planned to come here. I planned to work with Jen. Because in her life review, she knew she was coming in to meet me and that we were going to work together to get this information I I have such a thick head, like I'm such a skeptic too, that I was just like, whatever, you know, I don't, it takes me a lot to believe it. You must have had some hypnotic work on yourself that got you intrigued or interested in 
this. And I, I believe you've gone over that in our first episode, but uh, can, can, can you, can you experience, or can you tell us about your experience yeah, on the um, other when, side? When I, like, yeah, like I said, I just like last to believe anything, you know, I had to be, I had to prove it to myself. So when, as part of um, the QHHT classes, people would practice on me because I'm also an instructor. So I was going around with Dolores Cannon's daughter, teaching it all over the world. And when we were teaching in Miami, as part of, part of the class, they would practice on me, you know? So they would put me under, which is easy for me now to do, you know, basically to go under, but I can't guide myself. So when I went under, just out did. The student was guiding me and it turned, I, then I learned a lot more about Atlantis. I learned about like when I lived in Atlantis and I was a judge. And so that's when I learned more about like what was going on with the different illnesses that they had on Atlantis and my role there. I knew different things after that about Atlantis. So it helped me piece together the puzzles, you know, basically, and I, I understood like how the inner, the circles were, I understood the inner ring because I lived in the inner ring and it took me like three and a half hours to walk around the inner ring in Atlantis. And I had these really cool sandals that like would mold to my feet and wow. it totally pressed on every pressure point And I was almost like floating on air. Oh. And I went to all these cool parties, wow. <laughs> really neat buildings, you know, it was really interesting. But I was like this old like man, <laughs> and I was you know just Did you have like, a toga. <laughs> no, I didn't. I had like special like li- it looked like linen kind of like you have some a staff? type of Why soft fabric. <laughs> what? Staff? Did you have a st- like a really cool staff? No, I didn't have any of that. <laughs> I was like a regular person. <laughs> um, I have. Can Can you kind of explain? uh hip, hypnosis and like how because you said you fall you can fall into it really easy how how does one fall into hypnosis uh could could you possibly uh fall into hypnosis uh alone or by yourself in any yeah, type of way it's really easy like the trick to doing that if you wanted to do it by yourself is just for like a week every time you wake up in the morning and you still have access to your dream just kind of remember that state that's the deep theta state so when you kind of start to really feel that state so like say tomorrow morning you you wake up and you're like oh i'm in the state Like try to remember like how the state feels, like what, you know, what you're doing in that state. And then you can bring about that state on your own, basically. So I tell you guys about a dream I had last night. Hold on. on, on. Okay. Hold on. All right. All right. So it's really good. So the reason why I'm asking that is because do you think that people that are having uh, alien abductions or these different types of uh, hallucinations are maybe putting themselves into a theta state, and that's why they're able to have these visions. Because some of the adoption stories happen in their bed with their spouse next to them, and they never actually leave. So that means it's something that's happening within their own uh, cognitive consciousness or whatever. That's what I 
thought, I used to think that when people would be contacted by aliens, just a part of them left or they were under hypnosis or something like that. But from the countless abduction stories, it's like the same thing, like the being or whoever it is, like shines, usually shines a light on you. And that's the first thing you see, or you hear some noise and you know that they're around and then they freeze you. Basically you're frozen. You can't even look to the side or up and down, every mm -hmm. part of you is frozen, and then they carry you to wherever the ship is, and they carry all of you. Mm -hmm. And then you go aboard the ship, and maybe they're doing upgrades or checking your body for some issues, you know, and then they put you back, hopefully put you back in the bed. Some people, they don't put back in the bed. They put, like, next to their house or whatever, you know, but usually it's them abducting them, you know, checking on them, or it's like family members, you know, a lot of times there's people as part of different programs because their extraterrestrial version needs their own help. So essentially they're coming back and asking themselves for help in a different realm. And sometimes you're creating the seeds for yourself later. Like I was having these clients that were coming in and they were like postmenopausal women, like older women, and they all claimed to feel pregnant. So they would go to their doctor and the doctor's like, no, that's impossible. You know, you already went through menopause. Like, why do you feel pregnant? And they would finally find their way to me, you know? And sure enough, each time they would go under hypnosis, the subconscious will say, well, yeah, they are constantly pregnant because it's easier to hide. And they're seeding this other planet because we always have to have a backup planet. So there's <laughs> other planets that we're seeding right now. And, you know, they're using a lot of women that are, you know, don't know what's wrong with them. Basically. Yeah. So, so these alien beings are somewhat us in a parallel universe or in future yeah. or, or, or they're or somehow they're related some, to them and they're coming back to help yeah. us in this life is that even even reptilians even them believe it or not there's like people incarnated that remember being a reptilian you know because you might think that things are black and white like good and bad but it's not it all feeds into in together because this is a simulation this is like a 3d video game yes right it's not it's not really real it's like it is created there's a designer it's like when you see a sunset it's not exactly completely real, but it feels very real when you're here because you're totally playing a role. But, um, oh my God, I totally forgot what you asked me. <laughs> if the alien, if the alien <laughs> or other entities are like our oh. other cells uh, of different dimensions or uh, alien, it's What's like up with the our self in the future or something like that, and they're coming back. Yeah, to, if you look or, at an alien, if you or like Avatar more so, maybe they're like we're like oh right. under hypnosis in this life and then there's we're like coming to help ourselves yeah it's hard it's a hard one to explain really it, well if you look if you just look at an alien a humanoid looking alien i mean they have these big eyes because they've been in space for millennia they're mm -hmm. 
the gravity is different. So they're elongated. They're, they're human. They're just, a lot of them are us in the future mm -hmm. because the time doesn't exist and people know time doesn't exist. So if time doesn't exist and everything that's happening in the now is happening, then it would make sense. There's future versions of us, but it's kind of like the Mandela effect where you can be right next to somebody that remembers Mandela dying in prison versus somebody that doesn't you know there's different paths that you can take there's some future versions of us that are definitely arcturian that would tell you they're the future of us oh, but yeah, there's the gray beings that will say oh we're the future of you know depending on what path you know what, what path you take and there's a lot of work being done that to help us be on the right path it seems like it's inevitable though to be honest it just seems like we already really won this is we're just playing this you know video game out something uh tells me you're working on a book about the moon is that is that true you got a moon I, book coming out i would love to have a moon book out if you're totally picking up on it then maybe that's what's coming because i <laughs> i would love it i mean the moon gets mentioned a lot you know this it is interesting how it's hollow and there's different beings that there's humans that are on the moon, you know, different yeah. secret space programs, you know, where they take people and they're used for like remote viewing and all different kinds of things that are going on right now. <laughs> Is it a conductor? And do you think, have you heard, or what do you, what's your opinions on the moon being put there and created to terraform earth? Oh, I'll have to ask that question. I don't know. Sweet. I'll have to ask that. <laughs> All right. Get, get, get back to us about that one. Okay. Uh, sounds really interesting because it's such an anomaly. And, um, you know, ancient Egypt, which we were talking about in the Sphinx, um, you know, they all have their correlations to the sun, but also at the same time, the moon plays the exact same role because it's the exact same as the sun. It's just on the other side the moon and the sun and their paternal and beautiful relationship together and effect on everything on this planet is incredible. And so I'm just trying to ask more moon questions. Like what is really going on? You know, maybe this will lead me to asking and then we'll find out. So many things. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I have, I have a couple of things. So the, you're in Florida. You mentioned that you're in Florida. I'm in Florida, too. And there's something about the energy here that will literally drive you insane, hence Florida man. Yeah. And yeah. I've also heard that Florida is best for manifestation because of the water around it. And there's this interesting figure, uh, John Saxer in the Saxer saga. He talks about Florida being Atlantis or being the original Garden of Eden and all this stuff. Have you ran across any of that? Because I know you said it was in the Atlantic, but does Florida play a role at all in this whole Atlantis yeah, Garden of Eden thing? Definitely. Wherever the energy of Atlantis can still be felt, it can create a certain type of energy. And Florida is one of those places. It's in the water. All you have to do is go in the water and you can pick up on the Atlantean energy there. I mean, it didn't go anywhere. It's still there. <laughs> Interesting. But um, yeah. as far as the garden of Eden, a lot of my clients, when they describe the early, early Atlantis, they describe it like a garden of Eden. Like they used to have actual mermaids that were real, like mer oh, yes. and they, 
People still remember being a mermaid, and they literally seem to live miles deep within the ocean in these caves, and they're still around. They travel in pods and communicate with echolocation and things like that still, but they're not like the little mermaid. <laughs> I, I live in on an island for years, talking to people who are, you know, born and raised all across small islands in the oceans. Just island, pe island people that are native to islands are just they're the best. They're absolutely amazing, uh, beautiful people. Anyways, ask them if they believe in mermaids, and it's it's a, such a deep uh, memory and in that culture, and it's such a deep, actual, like serious topic and belief to a lot of the people and so the mermaid uh, uh exploration is so cool <laughs> it's so sick uh, what about um with the humans. I, I i i think that we're related i heard that um at listen to this lady talk about the arcturians who i i love i love the the arcturians i think they're really great sweet awesome gnosis beings that are trying to do some good i would hope so um but she was saying that uh dolphins are uh related to us um in a sense that the dolphins uh almost were us at one point or like they had the same type of uh same type of uh, we we're from the same planet or same star but they broke off and, and kept to be dolphins and then we came and been humans is, is there any uh, lore to that that's so interesting. I'll have to ask that question. I do know that like on other, on water planets, like Sirius, the Sirius star, one of the Sirius yeah. um, planets in the star system, it's like a water planet and you can still find dolphins or mer people or like these big manta rays there now today wow. underwater. But I also heard that dolphins through their frequency can help raise the vibration. But I really don't know if that's if they were supposed to be human or not. I know that when the cedars came, they wanted to make this a really great experiment. So they put, you know, being humanoid beings in water and that created like the mer people. But it just didn't work out as well as you know, the humans with legs on earth, that that design just didn't seem to work as well. And the giant design didn't really work as well because, you know, they had giants too that were supposed to do different, you know, tasks and do different things according to my clients. And that didn't work out either, but there still are giants just living in within the earth, apparently. Hey Juan, I heard on one of what your about, episodes uh, recently that you were talking about uh, dolphin birth, and that uh, can you can you explain that a little bit? I, I don't know all the details of it, but I heard you read about it. Uh, so the idea came up by listening to I forgot who I was listening to, but it had to do something about how in water, at home births that in in water. Uh, does something to the plasma or something in the energy field that that baby it's allegedly been proven that they have higher IQ, uh, higher iqs and they're smarter because they're born oh. in water they're oh, no. in water in the womb the entire time so it makes sense that they keep that same balance instead of extracting the baby and that is a very traumatic experience that a baby goes through literally being yanked out of your home right that's oh. the, they, they remember that forever Brutal. so it's a trauma that that a that a newborn goes through, and apparently in Hawaii there are 
dolphin assisted burps where the dolphin again it's this whole thing where the they go in with the dolphin and the dolphin just knows because the dolphin has wow. literally two human brains essentially on each side of its brain it's mm -hmm. its brain is giant mm -hmm. and one one brain controls one side of the one entire side of the body and the you know vice versa and essentially when a dolphin sleeps it shuts one brain down and one of his body and one of his eyes is open and he's operational while one side rests and then it switches out so essentially dolphins are aliens and there is these people in wow. you can look it up in hawaii who do dolphin births because they say that it helps these children develop and i don't know if it gives them supernatural abilities or what it may be but it's it's a real thing that i was i did not know about but yeah started with that at home births in the water helps something about the transition and those babies have higher iqs and then it went into the whole dolphins being used mm -hmm. for assisted births which i found really fascinating it's kind of dangerous if you really think about it because dolphins are dolphins are rapists dolphins are really mean yeah no they're just they're not mean their dolphins are not really mean first of all i've swam with so many pods they are very sweet but they are sensual so they they're really sexual yeah yeah they're, really yeah, sexual. they're always having sex because i live on my i live right on the water <laughs> and and anytime we're like coming by you know with the kids i'm like what are the dolphins doing right now? <laughs> they're they're like all red. They're like making a big ruckus. Like oh, they man. have a they party. Orgies outside your house. Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> wow, it's disturbing. I can I, I I can't scrub that visual out of my mind. But yeah, that was a thing that I didn't know about. But it is real. You can look it up mm -hmm. and and yeah. do a deeper research yeah. into it. But yeah. it is a real thing. Yeah, I believe That's it. I believe it, man. Um, what, what, what more can you tell us about like the Sphinx and, and like the pyramids too? Uh, when they talk, uh, when Jen talks about the Sphinx, does she bring up the pyramids at all also? And like, um, a little bit, but they use, they've used that shape. They've used like that design for many different planets. Like other clients remember being on other planets where they had the same design. They had pyramid shapes when they powered their crystals through um, Atlantis. Mm. But essentially, the pyramids were set up like the internet, basically. They would go, um, information would go through the ley lines into the pyramids. And you can still totally revitalize yourself in these pyramids, like just setting the intention. I mean, it's missing the capstone it would be so much more powerful if it had that, but you can still use those pyramids. You feel a difference when you go inside the pyramid when you come out, mm -hmm. definitely. I've had a friend of mine tell me the exact same thing, that they're working at like 2% or 0.05% of its original capacity, but that when you go mm -hmm. into it, I think that the pyramids were used as some sort of squirt gun if you will for the soul i think that they were used to transcend yeah. and i think that is what it's not funny roman it's a real thing a squirt gun that's the only way i could <laughs> machine or whatever a, a gun for the soul in order to shoot it up into the the ether the the aether the 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 upper eons whatever you want to call it. and i think this is why it's a, a cannon yeah it's a can that's why a lot of civilizations vanished oh where, what happened to right oh, descended dude the hyksos yeah. took them over well who are the hyksos well there were a nomadic people so you're gonna tell me a nomadic tribe came out of nowhere and took over one of the greatest civilizations of all time <laughs> i'm not buying it i'm not buying it so i think that's what yeah. they were used for 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for initiation process, you know, processes and stuff too, because when yeah. people would go down in the tunnels, it was interesting because the tunnels from the Sphinx go from the widening to these like narrow tunnels. And it was meant to create something in your mind, like to go from the widening of your mind down to a narrow focus. It's like everything in Egypt is so symbolic. It's like mm-hmm. meant to remind you. It's mm-hmm. like it's just uh, like a video game where you, you go and it's like here are a lot of clues if you go to Egypt. Yeah. We recently had um Jeffrey Drum on the show, and he was talking about how the pyramids were uh, used to produce chemicals. Has anybody ever said anything to that effect? In, uh, no, what kind of chemicals? So interesting. Uh, yeah, well, um, uh, lots of different things. Uh, ammonia. Um, wow. Uh, gold. Yeah, he said that the, basically the, the setup was, yeah, to make, to do all, like a bunch of experiments. It was uh, one of the major, like, science hubs of those ancient cultures and that the pyramids themselves had functions that worked on a massive scale to make a lot of chemicals at one time uh, in order to function society, to make even, you know, making compost and soil and things like that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But also creating gold is definitely one of the large functions that we've, I mean, we've talked about the pyramid plenty of times on the show and we've come to, uh, I mean, I have come to a general conclusion for the most part to say that they were a ulterior gold making machine uh, and, and, and energy f- frequency picker uppers absolutely cannons for sure. I think multifunctional, uh, but definitely creating gold in the tunnels underneath, at least in South America. I'm, I'm big mercurial batteries. That would make so much sense. Right? Because, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, because you can find like um, mercury mm-hmm. in the in, mm-hmm. underneath the pyramid. Pools so that's interesting. It. Yeah, pools of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I have a question. You were talking about you know Egypt having all of these massive symbolic things, and everything is is almost symbolic of something else on a higher initiatory level. Um, so has it ever come up in your workings? ulterior tools like um the crook and the flail from osiris you know is that is that symbolic or were there things that your clients have held in the past amulets um you know things that had special relics that legitimately wielded power and energy was that a part of the golden age at all or atlantean times to have devices like that that could um yes i think basically (laughs) any like anything but part of the golden age is really for us to awaken to the truth of ourselves i think like how powerful we really really are because that information is really suppressed like we don't really need crystals we don't really need anything like the truth about humans is that they're extremely powerful Mm. but this because we've been told for so long and brainwashed that we're not we're just like a shell of what we really could be. And I think that information is coming back. It's like, you hear it all the time. Like you're so powerful, but you don't really understand what that really means. Like, it's really true. I mean, people can do anything that they want. Like one, I mean, I had one client who remembered like 
being an extraterrestrial that was like seeding different planets and they were saying yeah they wanted him to understand the blueprint of a human because humans don't really understand their blueprint they don't understand that they can manifest through their emotions because emotions act as the gateway through the universe and that's one of the reasons why humans are so powerful because they can manifest anything basically through their emotions but it's like stuff like that that we don't know that i think we'll start to come make a comeback we'll start to understand like who we really are. Yes, that's it. <laughs> that we're so powerful. And I, oh, let's go outside and jump into a river. To talk about the pyramids and how you were mentioning these tunnels, it goes back to the cave symbolism where it's the womb of the earth and as it as it shrinks in, you know, going in towards the monad, that oneness, it's the same thing of the birth canal, right, where you yeah. are in this space and then it opens up and you come out to this new rebirth or new new, new life, I mean, whatever it is, but back to this alchemical transformational process uh, where allegedly where alchemy uh, was originated from was from Egypt, you know, the, the, that was the motherland of chemists, of of alchemy, so it would make sense that they would use these pyramids for some sort of alchemical process, either spiritually or physically, right? Or they were being reborn themselves in this in this initiation or whatever. Because you see these ducks going up and down, and and there's water at the very bottom of the of the. Or that maybe they were doing some sort of baptism or something there. Who who knows, right? Oh, I know. Definitely baths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go pretty soon because I um, my son has soccer practice. Nice. All right. Well, uh, I, I've I've I think we've we've hit multiple awesome, uh, <laughs> great topic points, and uh, so my soul is satisfied. Absolutely, I'm, it was a pleasant, which, pleasant. Which time. one, bro? Thank you. Uh, yeah, which one? At least three out of four. <laughs> one, one has been away for a little bit. I don't know when he's coming back. <laughs> This is great. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for inviting me. So, yeah, no problem. Yeah, thank you too. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course, Sarah. Uh, you're always welcome back anytime. Uh, we love to have you here. Uh, super. We we're just hitting you with questions because we we find it uh, so amazing <laughs> that you have some of these like hidden answers that other people don't have. You know, from these regressions that you have done and so it's it's just very fascinating information to be able to you know yes. pull it from from that type of modality uh whereas you know a lot of people are looking back through history and trying to figure these things out and it seems like you're just getting um you know when you're talking to jen or your other clients are getting these downloads from them and revealing a big part of the picture that you know we spend hours of time trying to figure out for it, feels, it feels pure too. It like it has this purity to it that is a beautiful uh it just it just has it just feels good and it makes intuitive sense honestly like it's it's very easy to i'm like oh it's the best it's the best so you just when you just had the book come out a few months ago on the sphinx um like january january yeah nice yeah. um yeah, go ahead and uh, plug your stuff and tell people where they can find you at, uh, any any type of things that you want people to go find, uh, and the books that you have, and let them know what's going on with Sarah Breastman Cosme. 
Thanks. Um, I have two books now on Amazon, A Hypnotist's Journey to Atlantis and A Hypnotist's Journey to the Secrets of the Sphinx. And you can get it on Audible, Kindle, you know, paperback right now. The Sphinx book is almost out on Audible. Oh, is it going to be on um, Audible soon? Excellent. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm going to talk about a lot about all this new information that's been coming through um, at Laughlin, uh, Nevada, at the UFO conference. I'm going to show some actual footage of people really under hypnosis and what it looks like when wow. these extraterrestrials come through. What's the dates on that uh, that convention? November 11th through the 13th. That's a fuck. Oh, that's a powerful time. Yeah. I know. So much shit in history has happened on that weekend. Uh, wow. So I'm sure it's going to be maybe. It's always fun. It's just fun, you know, to speak like same language as other people and like mm-hmm. meet like minded people. And then I'm going to be speaking at the Conscious Life Expo in LA um, February 10th through the 13th. Ooh. And I'm going to be talking more about like the Sphinx and then showing some client sessions of that too. And, um, talking about a lot more. And then I'm also going to show people how to do self-hypnosis and how to tap into the quantum field themselves. And then, you know, do things like heal themselves and find information because I mean, everybody's like a book. Yeah, we we yes. can go find to the we can go to your website and find out the information about these conferences. Yeah, you can go to my website, theholistichypnotist.com, and you find out where I am next <laughs> and what I'm doing. Excellent. Well, thank awesome. you so much for joining us, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. It's always fun talking to you guys. Blast. Such <laughs> a blast. It's going to be fun editing, <laughs> putting music to it. Uh, so many good things to pull at for this one. And uh, yeah, until next time, maybe we'll see you at a convention. Who knows? Nevada That'd and LA awesome. are both very close. So. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, well, the Conscious Maryland. Life Expo in February is like one of the coolest expos I've ever been to. Yes, last last year was my first time. And there's so many people from all over the place. Which is uh, pretty cool. Yeah. We should go to one of these. Is it, is it early February or late February? It's February 10th through the 13th. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Interesting. But you'll find out more on my website. It hasn't been. Yes, yes, yes. Has, tickets aren't, aren't on sale yet for the Conscious Life Expo. All right. It was a pleasure meeting you, Sarah. Thank you. It was really nice meeting you too, Juan. My husband's name Juan. He's from Puerto Rico. Where are you from? Puerto Rico. <laughs> By I'm on Puerto Rico, so that's where my husband's from. Are we the same person? Am I? Am I your husband? <laughs> you know any of the Cosmes? Cosmes? No, no, I don't. Okay, What's... I'm an Ayala, so. Ayala. Oh, I'll ask Juan. Yeah. Ayala. Yeah. It'd be funny if you guys are related. Juan's that podcast is great. called Juan on One. So maybe if your yeah, husband yeah. wants to join him. Well, he knows about Juan. fishing. And Juan That's it. Podcast. Fishing. And I fishing. Fish too. Spear fishing. He can tell pe- you all about like how to fix a boat. But. A peacock bash fishing show right now. So cool. Nice. <laughs> Anytime was, you want Juan to talk yeah. about fishing, he could come on. But that's, you know. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure meeting you. That was a weird synchronous see there <laughs> i know right from Bayamon too from Bayamon, like yeah. so funny oh my gosh wow yeah that's awesome I well thank you a great time thanks everybody for showing nice up nice meeting and, you guys uh, love you bud thank you fire tribe and if you're not done with that 
Wake up.